Thank you, Hannah, uh, for sharing our reading with us this morning. If you are a Fitzroy regular, you will be more than well aware that we have been journeying our way through the gospel according to John. And if you're a visitor with us this morning, we just want to sort of recap to the point at which we have got. We started off in that prologue about, when did we start that? It must have been in the middle of September, about Jesus being the light in the darkness. We journeyed with Jesus through chapters 2 to 12, where we saw his ministry, where we saw Jesus encountering people, giving instruction and teaching, sharing the things of the Father with them. And we also see Jesus in those chapters also having personal time with his disciples, those who he calls his nearest and dearest, those who have been at the very heart of the action since his public baptism and commencement of his ministry. And then as we come into the chapters which we will be journeying through over the incoming weeks, chapters 18 to 21, we come to sort of the the climax of the story, if you will, because it is in these chapters that Jesus begins his road towards the cross. It is in these chapters that we see the suffering that lies ahead. It is in these chapters that we have the promise of the resurrection that also lies ahead. Because what has been theory and what Jesus has been talking about up until this point now becomes reality. Remember back, if you will, how when we were journeying through those earlier chapters, Jesus talked of a time that was to come. This morning, we see the beginning of the fulfillment of that time to come in chapter 18, the time when the light of the world will be put to death. That time when those who haven't understood his ministry will find him guilty. That time when those who have long been looking to sentence him achieve their goals. That time when he hangs on the cross. But the story isn't over. So as we journey through chapter 18 together this morning, we're going to be talking about swords. We're going to be talking about torches. We're going to be talking about tough men lying on the ground. And we're going to be talking about disciples raising arms. And we're going to be talking about a savior that confirms that he is indeed the great I am. This morning's story that we have shared together is indeed a very famous story. Even if you don't have much biblical knowledge, this is probably one of the stories you will know. It has been recreated and reworked in art over the centuries. On the screen behind me, you can see a picture or a painting by Caravaggio, which hangs in the National Museum of Ireland. And I have to be honest, as many of you know, that I lived in Dublin doing my postgrad and then worked there for a while. And moving church for me was quite a traumatic experience because I had grown up in a family that I'd been part of for 22 years until I moved down there. And on a Sunday morning, I find it just difficult maybe to enter into some of the services that were on in the city. But every Sunday without fail, I would find myself in the National Museum looking at this painting. And this morning, as we journey through it, why don't you try and imagine yourself in the story? Why don't you think for a moment about who you would be? Maybe at different stages in our lives, we are different people in 
this story. Maybe at one time we're brandishing torches. We're hunting out Jesus to find him guilty. Maybe at other times we're Peter, who just sort of in a moment of confusion draws a sword and cuts off a servant's ear. Let's unpack this story a little. I don't know about you, but I'm a sore loser when it comes to games. I always love to win. And if I'm not going to win, I'll probably just stop playing, to be perfectly honest with you. But everyone, I'm sure, has had an experience of being a bad loser. Something you've really wanted to win, and it just was not going your way at all. And sometimes when you're losing, you might say things to yourself like, or out loud even, to the other person, you only won because I really wasn't trying. Or perhaps you say, you only won because I let you win. Because you see, sore losers try to erase their defeat, don't they? But they can only do it by lying or giving an excuse. And this morning as we come to chapter 18, it looks on the surface level that Jesus is about to lose. Here he is, surrounded by guards, surrounded by tortures, torches. He's going to lose. He enters the garden in our story this morning as a free man with his disciples. Yet he leaves the garden with his enemies, and he is tied up and bound. But Jesus himself, as we remember in Scripture, has said, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. The arrest is not a defeat, because the arrest was always supposed to happen. Jesus, in this story, is not outmatched or outpowered, maybe like England in a World Cup game. Yes, I am watching some of it. But rather, he is doing everything that was required of him. In our story, Peter is told to put his sword away because Jesus was willing to let what was going to come happen because it was all part of his father's plan. Jesus knew all along that this was going to happen to him. He entered the garden with his disciples, full of the knowledge that the arrest and suffering and death was to come. He knew everything of what we have read this morning. He wasn't wondering what might happen as he approached the garden. He wasn't unaware of people's plots against him. He knew. Jesus in the chapter before, willingly lets Judas go to do what he must do and betray him. I wonder what it must have been like in that garden when the disciples see Judas entering into their midst, one who had been round the table with them earlier, sharing in a meal, suddenly leading the charge against Jesus, coming right into the garden and kissing Jesus to betray him. Think for a moment this morning of the contrast between the all-powerful Son of God and this band of men with their sticks and their torches. Judas, as we know, 
was one of Jesus' disciples, yet happy to betray him for a small charge. The chief priests and Pharisees who time and time again opposed Jesus, trying to um, turn his words upside down, trying to accuse him left, right, and center for all that he was doing among the people and the challenges that he was giving, had plotted for this very moment to come, the moment when in which they could get rid of him. And when they came, did they show him any respect? No. They came with swords, and they came for cl- with clubs for this man who was calling himself the Son of God. They came to seize him as if he was one of the very worst kind of criminals. How do you think you might respond in that situation? I'm sure I wouldn't have responded as peacefully and calmly as Jesus does. Because rather than being scared in the moment, rather we see Jesus stepping forward and asking them, who is it you want? His mind, his mind wasn't there thinking about getting out of the situation. His mind was on us. His mind was on the plan that he had to fulfill, his father's plan for the salvation of the world. And how does Jesus respond when they say they're looking for him? He responds simply, I am he, Jesus said. Now, actually on surface value, that's quite a statement, but when you go back to the Greek text, you'll quickly discover that the word he is not there at all. He has been added in in our English translations. So what Jesus actually says to those who have gathered to arrest him when they say they are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, his response is, I am. I am. And that has been a motif as we have journeyed through John, hasn't it? Do you remember how we thought about Jesus saying, I am the vine. I am the light of the world. Constantly, time and time again, I am. Am. But this time it is not connected with another word. Simply it is, I am. And if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you can flick back to Exodus chapter 3 when God speaks to Moses to lead the people out of Pharaoh's tyranny. And when Moses asks God who should, who should he tell Pharaoh is sending him, the response from God called, says, I am. So this morning in our reading, what we see is that Jesus is actually confirming that he is God. He is God. So often when we talk about ourselves as I am, we often attach something else to it. But God never does. What we find this morning in chapter 18 is Jesus saying that I am not here to show you the way to God but rather, I am God come to you in flesh, as Tim Keller would suggest. There's something not to do during the week when you're preparing. Listen to a sermon on the passage you're going to preach by Tim Keller and then realize how inadequate you actually 
are, but steal the best bits from it and acknowledge that you did it. Um, I am. If you want, when you go home, feel free to listen to it. It's online. It's fantastic. And what happens when Jesus says to them that I am? Well, they draw back and they fall to the ground. In that moment, can you imagine what was going through Jesus' mind. If it was me in that situation, I might have thought, oh, they're on the ground. I could escape from them. Um, He could have endless ways to exit the garden, endless possibilities, yet there he stands as they are on the ground. And what's Peter doing in the midst of the action? Well, he's brandishing a sword and cutting off ears, isn't he? This Jesus who time and time again told his disciples that he had come to be the prince of peace. Yet, Peter carrying instruments of war. This revolution that Jesus was ushering in that was to be so different from the tyranny that people had experienced at the hands of their overlords. Suddenly, one who has been part of Jesus' gang and has been being taught personally by him for three years is striking out in violence himself. Who is it you want? I am he, Jesus' response. And can you imagine as Simon is told, or Simon Peter is told by Jesus to put down his sword? How must he have felt? Would there have been a moment where he said to himself inwardly, I've really let him down. I've really let him down. But maybe, maybe there was a moment when Peter just realized that Jesus was willing to go ahead with all that was to come. As we come to this story that we're so familiar with at Easter time, what we see over everything is a Christ who is willing to be crucified on a cross for us. And then we hear the echoes of the challenge that daily we, if we are to follow him, are to take up our crosses and do so. Sometimes we can get so comfortable, can't we? Sometimes being a Christian in Northern Ireland is actually quite an easy thing. But day in, day out, we are told to take up our crosses and follow him. But then we go in the story from the garden to a courtyard. And yet again, we focus in on Peter. And Peter is warming himself by the fire. And a girl comes to him and asks, are you one of his followers? And what is Peter's response here? Yet again, he denies that he ever knew him. He denies that he had actually been part of that gang that had been so close and intimate to Jesus. He denies. One minute, he has a sword out, willing to defend Jesus. The next, he's denying him. And sometimes that's like us in our faith, isn't it? Sometimes we are so on fire for him that we would be willing to do anything, even in Peter's case, cut off somebody's ear. But then there are moments, aren't there, 
in moments of pressure, maybe with friends or with family or in work, when we think, do you know what, actually, I don't know him because it's easier in this environment not to know him. But yet, as we journey with Jesus, we see that as he was willing, we too must be willing to take up our crosses and follow him in spite of the pain and the hurt that might lie ahead. I am he. The moment that Jesus declares to those around him that he is indeed God, and he is the God that they have been longing to see for generations, and he is the God who is going to fulfill all that is required of him, all that is foretold about him, and all that we remember about him today. Let us pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, our, our reading began by detailing how you were praying with your disciples. And so this morning we come to you in prayer. We thank you that we are able to do so. We thank you that when we talk to you, you listen to us. That you not only listen to us, but you do act and respond according to your will. This morning, as we have thought about that moment of your son being handed over to the authorities, or that pivotal moment where we know what lies ahead for him, we thank you that you were willing to let him die for us. But in acknowledging that you let him die for us, we are aware of the responsibility that comes with that. We are aware this morning that you tell us to take up our crosses and follow you. So this week, this month, in the days that lie ahead, show us glimpses of how we can truly do that and help us surrender the things that we are so desperately clinging on to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.